Praise the Lord. Well, this morning, I'm excited. I hope you're ready. Because God spoke to me something yesterday, very, very deep. And uh, in Psalms 139, I'm going to read two portions of Scripture, then we're going we're to stay in this chapter, but I just want to open up with two Scriptures and then pray, and we'll get right into the message. But the Bible says here in Psalms 139, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. And then down in the 23rd verse of Psalms 139, He said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. I want to simply preach this morning how God searched out For us. And how in that searching out. He brings us into a place where we begin to search. And we ask Him to search us. Do you see where I'm going this morning? Let's pray. Father I thank you for this opportunity to come. And to break open the bread of life. And Lord I'm just a man. I'm just a human being. But God one that has submitted to you. And in humble uh, submission I come. And I ask you today. To just bring the unction from the Holy One. Lord, an anointing that would break every yoke. God, that would communicate Your Word with love, but yet with grace and power. Lord, and authority. And God, that would change and transform or revolutionize the life of each and every person sitting in here. Today there are people here, Lord, that really need to surrender. They need to truly surrender their everythings to you, Lord. And God, I believe today, as you spoke to me in prayer yesterday, that you're going to do something today that, Lord, that's that's just going to be marvelous and beautiful and wonderful. You're going to touch lives and turn people around and change them forever. And Lord, I pray, let it be today, God. Let thy perfect will be done today. And let your anointing break the yoke. And God, we'll give you all of the glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name we ask you and thank you for your glory. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Isn't God so good? Praise the Lord. Now I'm preaching this morning the search of God. The search of God. You know a central thread in the Bible is that God is searching for man. From the very garden of Eden, God was searching for man, He was searching for Adam whenever Adam and Eve had sinned, even in their sinful state and their disobedience. He came searching for them while they were hiding behind a tree. And so from the very beginning we see this. The greatest thing I want to tell you today is that God would search for you and I. And the second greatest thing that could ever happen to you and I is that we get born again. I had a man one time say, I'm I'm a Christian, but I'm not the born-again kind. I said, that's the only kind there is. Amen. There's only one kind, and it's the born-again kind, the kind that are born spiritually, birthed spiritually. Because if you study the Word, you know that we were dead in trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians 2. That we were uh, aliens uh, from the commonwealth of Israel, or from the covenant, would you say, that God made with Abraham. But thank God Jesus died on the cross so that we could be 
be just like the Hebrews, amen, just under the covenant that God made with Abraham. And we came into the commonwealth of Israel. But we were dead in trespasses and sins before we were born again. Aliens from God, strangers from the covenants and the promises of God, having no hope, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 and 12, and without God in the world. But now, amen, thank God now we know who Christ is. We have a new life in Jesus Christ. We've been born again and we have a reborn spirit. But before, we were dead to spiritual things, dead to eternal things. You know, a dead to a to God and the concept of an eternal God. I remember whenever Pete Spackman was confronted and he and, and someone said to him that he's an Englishman that's a pastor and a, a great friend of Sister Skiles and I down at Adullam, down in, uh, I'm sorry, in Montgomery, Alabama, Wetumpka, Alabama, and they have that orphanage down there that's the only one in the United States like it. It's an orphanage where they take the children uh, from the women in prison that are pregnant and they raise those babies rather than them go into the foster care system and they're raised up in the admonition of the Lord but all of that being said Pete's preached for years years, 50 years or more 60 years in the prisons and someone said these men don't pray these men don't read their Bible sometimes they don't even want to come to church and he said they can't pray because they don't know who God is he said but when they know who God is they'll pray when they know who God is they'll worship when they know who God is they'll want to get into the word of God they have no concept of God they have no idea who God is they think they do but they don't know God but when you're born again amen it's new life to you oh the perception of God it's not there until God saves a person, changes them. Amen. The only reason it changed is because God sought out and searched out a man. David speaks this. Thou searched me. Thou searched me and known me. You know, Paul feared because for once... God was made known unto him on the Damascus road in Acts chapter 9. Peter feared because the miracle of the fish made him stop dead in his tracks and say, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Because he saw for the first time the power of God bring about that multitude of fishes. It, the same thing applied with Nicodemus. He came in the middle of the night and he said... No man can do the things that you're doing, Jesus, except he be from God. And Jesus spoke to him and said, You must be born again to even see the kingdom of heaven. You gotta see it first. You gotta perceive it first. And then you can become a part of it. Then you can come into the union with God. He can save you. But whenever you're born again, the thing that happens is you turn from the life of sin that you're in and you change course. I love it. David in Psalms 139 had a concept of God. 
It's clear in the Word. If you study out his life, you know that Nabal did not have that concept of who God was. He chose not to recognize David as the king who would bring about Jesus, the ultimate king of kings. The Samaritan woman of the book of John, she stood at that well and, she, and Jesus said unto her, if you knew who stood here before you, you would ask of me living water and I would give that living water. If you realized who's right here before you, people sit in a church service where the presence of God is so powerful and they do not even recognize that God is in their midst. But church, let me tell you something, honey, this morning, when Jesus touches you, you know it. Amen. You feel Him. You're changed. You're not the same ever again. Oh, he searched me, David said. He searched me. And he said that. Now the search of God is for us to know him. And if you read what David wrote in Psalms 139, Psalms 139 is is a poetic genius if you read it and you study it, it's of poetic genius full of wisdom and unknown knowledge at that time. And it's like one stanza after another. What is that? Just repeating the song. You know, we worship and we sing. And people are like, oh, sing it one more time. Amen. We sing that song. You know, one right after the other. But we worship and, and you're worshiping God. And you're like, keep going, pastor. Keep on singing. Keep on worshiping. Keep, I could sing and worship all day long. I've sat in services or stood rather. I stood in services where I felt the presence of God while they were doing the worship service. I've stood at some and I thought I was at a funeral. Ha 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 ha, amen. I thought, Lord, it's deader than last year's bird nest. It's dry as corn shucks. Man, I know about corn shucks. I lived across the street from a 75-acre cornfield. I know dry corn shucks. And I know the dryness in religion. But I also know the power of a living God. The spirit of a living God. And how that He can come in and He can touch you. And He can minister to you. And, I, and you know, it's one. It's just like a rolling and a, and a continuation. A continuum of the Spirit of God and the words of God and the knowledge of God in this particular chapter. It just builds and builds and builds. In fact, it's, it's, it's one of the most, you know, uh, theologically concerning the deity of God uh, out of any scripture in the Bible, I really truly believe, considering His omniscience and His uh, omnipresence and the power of God. You know, He's omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent. He's all-knowing, all, all, all existence and all power, all science. He's, he's all, everything, and full of wisdom. And David comes to a place where God 
God has searched him out and he laid in that sheep pasture for many, many years as he was leading those sheep. He's looking up at the stars and it's no wonder, no wonder that he wrote the things that he wrote. Amen. We don't live in a time where anybody seems to have any imagination anymore. But David sat there without a written word for the most part except for the Torah, except for the Old Testament, the the first five books. And here he is and he's looking up at the stars and he's saying, my God, what an awesome God. What an all-knowing God. What an all-existent God. It spells it out right here in the Scripture. But he didn't even know the knowledge of science of embryology. And he talks about that saying, whenever I was in my mother's womb, you knew me. You knew me when I was being developed. (laughs) But he also writes of God's omniscience, God's omnipresence. God knows. Thou hast searched me. You pierced through me. That's what he said. You pierced through me. And it's, it's indicative of someone searching for a treasure. Did you know that there's a treasure down deep within you that God is after? He's after your soul. You know it has to be something of impeccable value for God to want it and fight for it and die for it and the devil to do it too. Your soul is something powerful. It's something eternal is what it is. Not powerful, but eternal. And so David understood this. He understood God is piercing through, searching for a treasure of what he could bless, what he could approve, what he could reward. Hagar said in Genesis 16 and 3, he, she said, Thou, God, seest me. You see me. Even though Abraham and Sarah have kicked me out, I had nothing really to do with all of this. They planned it. They manipulated it. They circumvented you, God. But now they've kicked me out. And here I am. I have this child. There's nobody here to help me. But God began to to speak God began to reveal himself and she said now God sees me even when you think he doesn't see you he sees you David said you've searched me out and you know me isn't that awesome you know me you think God doesn't know you he knows you that's why you come to a service and you sit into a church you've never been in before And the preacher preaches a message and he don't know nothing about you, about your life. But the Holy Spirit, which is God in the Spirit, knows you. And He knows how to minister to you and talk to you. Amen. He said in verse 2, You know my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understands my thoughts afar off. In other words, what he's saying is, You know my entire life. My entire activity, as well as my thoughts afar off. Long before I ever had thoughts, you knew what my thoughts were going to be. He knows you. He knows you. He said in verse 3, Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all of my ways. You scrutinize my path, is what he's saying. And my lying down and my acquainted with all my ways. 
even though the prodigal went and he found himself in a hog pen, a Jewish boy in a hog pen, God, amen, I know that that hog pen was there in the will of God so he could come to a place where he realized this is not what I want, amen, this is not what I want. I remember somebody that was bound by drugs, bound by alcoholism, bound by the enemy, bound by gambling. They went into a, a, in a casino, drugged up, drunk, and they're standing in front of that mirror, you know, with a suit on because they were in essence a successful person in the world, but they couldn't overcome the darkness of habits and vices. And the, my, the man stood in front of the mirror and he looked at him, himself and he said, you're a pitiful mess. Look at you. You can have thousands and thousands and millions of dollars in the bank, but, but if you're bound by the enemy, what do you have? If you don't know God, what do you have? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? A lot of people give a lot less <laughs> and let the devil drag them to hell. Amen. Listen, church. He said, you scrutinize my paths. You're acquainted with all my ways, my words. You know, there's not a word in my tongue, verse 4, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. You know everything I'm going to say. God's all-knowing. Listen, I'm going somewhere this morning, so stick here with me. Don't get up and leave yet. Amen. It's kind of like the camp, you know. The, the Easter picnic, I thought we ought to implement that. Come back in, you got to give again. Amen. Oh, come on, little preacher humor here now. People say, all them preachers do is talk about money. I do not. And you know I do not. I do not. I'm not one of those kind of preachers that takes up 15 offerings, that take up one. That's right. But listen, I'm telling you right now this morning. He says, you know my words. And he says in verse 5, he says, Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. This is a powerful scripture. What he's saying is you hemmed me in. You limited me. You cramped me in. There are some things, even when people try to sin, when God has delivered them and they cannot do it. They say, I can't find the connection. Well, God hemmed you in so you wouldn't. Amen. I went to go, you know, walk by that way because I wanted to be where that girl was that day. Or I wanted to be, if you're a girl, where that guy was that day. I wanted to make sure that we crossed paths and they didn't come by that way. Amen. There are things that we try to orchestrate in our lives and plan out so that we can get caught up and involved in sin and God will not allow it. I've heard of people that got delivered from drugs and then they went back to get high and they said, I couldn't even get high. I cried. I tried and tried. I couldn't even get high. I said, God hemmed you in. Hallelujah. Oh, that's just not possible. I've watched people sober up right here at the altar. Or I've seen it, heard it. Rather, I should say, I've watched God begin to move and deliver and set people free. They're a totally different person. Amen. But he said, all of this, you've beset me behind and before. All of this can be thrilling to you or it can be threatening to you if you don't want to live for God. People go, I don't want to hear that kind of a message. I wanted to hear, you know, one of them. 
easy believisms. One of those that makes me feel real good. I can tell you, when you get Jesus in your heart, you'll feel real good. Man, I went in a rotten sinner in 1990, fell into an altar, got up from that place. That church walked out the doors. I ain't never been the same. That's 32 years ago almost. Almost 32 years ago. You know, Greek philosophy will teach you that man is supposed to know yourself. That's philosophy. That's psychology. That's all kinds of things. It's man-centered intelligence and knowledge. And you see that all over social media. You know, people trying to help themselves or they find some guru that speaks and they may be the latest and greatest of the time. But I assure you this, you're never going to find yourself out. Amen. There's, the Bible says the heart's desperately wicked. Above all things deceitful. Who can know it? Only God can know it. But He said He tries the reins. He begins to try you to see and show you what's in that heart. He'll reveal that to you. Only God can do that because only God knows. I've even had people say, I never believed that I would ever serve God and then go back to the things I went back to. I never dreamed that was even in my heart. I'm going to tell you right now, you and I are just a, a step away if we don't stay before God of going right back to where we used to be. And worse, seven times. But philosophy and psychology and, and new age teaching and uh, you know whatever they do, their thinking is... Man has got to know himself. I can tell you, that's impossible according to the Bible. We're a bundle of contradictions. You're a, you are a bundle of contradictions. We are exhorted and we should just worship the one true God who is never contradicted, never a contradiction, always faithful, and never fails, is the Aaron, because I'm very hot up here. Verse 6, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, David said, my goodness, the knowledge that God has of everything about me, he's omniscient, he knows everything, that stands for omniscience. He knows everything. He knows my ways, where I'm going, what I'm saying. He knows everything about me. Such wisdom and knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain unto it. So I'm just going to submit myself and surrender unto God and say, Lord, you're bigger than me. I cannot figure you out. But I can worship you with the knowledge and revelation that I do have of you. Hallelujah. In verse 7 through 8, it says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. You know, I read that scripture, and you know, we, 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 we act like that God cannot be around evil. Really? What you're saying is the devil's more powerful than God than if he can't be around evil. He doesn't like to look at sin. He doesn't rejoice in sin. He hates sin. But I can tell you, he ain't afraid to be around it. 
In Jesus' presence, devils walked into the synagogue and began to manifest. So let me just tell you right now, God's not afraid. He's not afraid. In fact, He'll go to the depths of hell to drag you out of there. That's how much He loves us. That's how much He's searching for us. Now, the Scripture says, He says, in verse 7 and 8, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. That scripture always puzzled me, but as I studied yesterday, I realized something. In heaven, if you're born again, you will be greeted by God. But in hell, I can tell you, you will be met with the presence of God's judgment. God is present on both sides of the grave. He doesn't stand back and say, I can't, I can't go over to the neighborhood of hell because you know, I'm God. The Bible says He created it. He's God. Death will not, have, well, death will not hide us from God. That is one of the greatest lies the devil has sold people. Well, I'll just live my life and I'll just die and just dissipate. No, you won't. You have a soul that's eternal. And that eternal soul will one day stand before an eternal God. A holy God. And you're either going to have had salvation through the sacrifice of the Son that He sent to be your remedy or you will die and go to hell. Don't say that, Pastor. It's in the Bible. Let me tell you something. Newsflash. Fun fact. Jesus spoke more on hell than he did heaven. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's all through the Scriptures because God doesn't want you to go there. Are you hearing me? That's why he sent his Son, that no man would perish. And I tell you this today because many give no concern to life after death. They're totally unmoved. You know, I'm reminded of a of a. Of a a motorcycle police officer that stood, not stood, he rode his motorcycle uh, bike right up there where a preacher was preaching on the corner. I don't remember where, but he was preaching on the corner. And he stood there in mockery and he revved his engine. He said, hey, preacher. He said, how far is heaven? Or how far is hell? He said, right around the corner. You better get right. And he laid on that motorcycle and took off. And by the time he got to that corner, he got hit by a bus and died. You aren't promised your next breath. None of us are. That's why we need to give concern today for our soul. And uh, reading this and knowing this, a lot of times people will say, well, you know, I'll just go to hell. There'll be a party down there. No, there won't. The Bible says gnashing of teeth, weeping, fire, brimstone. But if you really study out the word of God, you know that hell will be the existence of unfulfilled lust that burn perpetually in you. Imagine, I've preached this before, imagine your greatest moment with God in, in, in a spiritual setting, whether it's in your prayer life or in worship, the greatest worship service you've ever been in. Just you say, I remember, okay, we'll use camp. We'll use the, the, the cafeteria outpouring, amen, that we were there for five hours and people baptized in the Holy Ghost and the presence of God moving. The Spirit of just in January, all that we experienced and we went through. 
Imagine that. That's just a glimpse of heaven. The strongest lust and desire for sin that you've ever had is just a glimpse. Just a, I don't want to use the word glimpse, but just a fraction of what people will experience in hell because it is a place where the soul, where the worm dieth not, the Bible says, where the soul doesn't die but is in punishment and torment. That's Bible. That's Bible. And I don't want you to go there. I want everybody to make heaven their home. I, I, but here David says, my understanding and the knowledge that God has given me is He has revealed to me that He is the God of heaven and He's the, He is the God who created hell. And no matter where you're at, you're not going to escape Him. You try to take wings and fly away, you're not going to escape Him. And so, I just want to convey to you today to think on that. In verse 11 and 12 he says, If I say surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light around me, about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. He's saying, God, you see through the darkness. You, you, there is no darkness where you're at, but you peer through that. You can see through that darkness. I know that we as people believe that we can hide in the darkness. All sin for the most part that it is done in the darkness. The Bible even says that Jesus said men love darkness rather than light. Because the light will reprove their deeds. The light will expose their deeds. Amen. That's why when somebody ain't doing right and you're full of the Spirit of God, you go around them, they don't want you to be around them. Amen. Are you hearing me? Man thinks darkness hides their sin from God because lost men love darkness, but to God... Light and darkness are both alike. He sees through it all. And God's search is to save us from ourselves and the things we do in the darkness. And I want to say something this morning to you, youth and young people. And I'm going to walk down the aisle so you better look straight ahead. What you think you're doing in darkness on your phone, God sees. Are you hearing me? What you think you're doing, and you may not even be a teenager, you may be an adult, man or woman. What you do in darkness, God sees. You know, it seems to always happen at midnight because the devil starts at the beginning of a new day. Amen. Good to see you all. Amen. It's my friends from Illinois. Young people, God sees what you're doing, what you're looking at. And the devil wants to, oh, I'm going to stay here for a second. The devil wants to sell you a lie, and you believe it. You believe it. You've said, I believe this, that what I've always known was sin, that now there's a gratification here, and that now it's okay. And that, you know what, uh, it's going to be better this time. And I'm going to get a greater gratification out of it. But you're not going to. Sin, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And so the enemy wants to drag you to hell with all of that sin and that lust. And what you feel whenever you do that, imagine hell times a thousand is what it's going to be. 
You cannot hide in the darkness. God sees in the darkness. And young person, especially you that have known God, you that have felt God, you that have been touched by God, you that have been raised in the house of God, I'm going to say something to you that's going to be very bold. How dare you? How dare you? When you've known the, the, the God of eternity, you've known the love of God, you've known the power of God, you've watched God do marvelous and powerful things in your family, and then to go back to that, that rotten devil, go back to that evil, go back to that kind of life, how dare you? You know better than that. We're not talking about somebody that wasn't raised in church. People that have known God from their infancy for the most part. I told my boys years ago, I said, if you even try, I raised you up in the admonition of the Lord. Don't even think about going out there and living for the devil. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I'll be on you like ugly on an ape. You know, you see these people. I had pastor friends. And their son came out that he was homosexual. And at first, they kind of, but I know we love our kids, but we cannot love the demonic things that they're involved in. And you know what happened? Not only did they go because of this love that is not, you know, it's, it, it, I know a love for your children, but not a love for them even in their sin or a love for their sin or in spite, they, they stopped let me tell you what happened. They stopped talking about that it was wrong. They stopped believing that and they embraced him in his sin. And now they're not even serving God. They're not pastors anymore. They're not, as far as I know, not even serving God at all. Because their son was caught up in a lust that he didn't understand. And rather than stand with a backbone and say, this is what the word of God says. I don't hate you, but that's wrong. And I'm never going to change my viewpoint about that because one day I'm going to stand before God and I can't change the Word of God because you don't want to change or you don't want to surrender to God and ask Him to help you. Let me tell you something, church. People say, well, what if people continue to have desires or things of this nature? I don't care who you are. Everybody has things that they dealt with before they came to Christ. They have sexual lust. They have desires, they have things, and we all have to bring them all under subjection. You can't take one particular sin and say, this you have to deal with, but this one over here, well, because we don't understand it, we'll just leave it alone. No, sir. The Bible's very clear on that. I don't care what it is, but see, we make allowances for things that God doesn't. And he says, I see through the darkness. God searched you out. Are you hearing me? Oh my God. David understood the eternal God. Even from his mother's womb, he said, he knew me. God knew me. He's been searching throughout all of my existence. Now get ready because I'm getting ready to load the gospel gun. And I'm going to tell you why. Because too many people 
rather than get delivered and surrender unto God and go on in the faith. They come back and they make shrines and memorials out of their past and out of their abuses and out of their hurts. That is a a central thing in their life. And you hear it in their conversation. God told me one day, I'm sick of it. I'm done. Either I deliver you and you're healed and you go on in me or you're going to continue in your broken down state. I did not come down from heaven, send my son down to die on an old rugged cross to save and deliver you and save you to the uttermost for you to live in a crippled down, broken down Christian state. We're victorious. We're victorious. We pray over things we just need to obey God in. You don't need to go and weep and cry every week over the same thing. You need to obey God. He's searching you out. And he's saying, I'm trying to I'm trying to pull you out of that. And one of the things that David says here, he says, for you've possessed my reins. You've covered me in my mother's womb. Now this is huge. This is huge. This is a whole page of notes. You've possessed my reins. You have covered me in my mother's womb. Two words for possessed in this particular translation of this word. Hebrew, Aramaic, whatever. Possessed means weaving, knitting of your life. And God's work did not stop at your birth. I know he's talking about being formed in the womb. But if God knew everything about you, everything that was going to happen throughout your life, he knows all things. And he didn't stop working and searching for you, searching to bring you unto himself, searching to bring you to the fullness of God. He didn't stop in the womb. But he, throughout your life, has orchestrated things in your life to bring you unto himself. Are you hearing me? Strong says that word possessed means created or erected by extension or procured, purchased. This word is so powerful. It is so powerful. It's, it goes hand in hand in concert with the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And what he did, it means created, erected, extended, or procured, purchased to own because you've been bought as a slave to attain, to buy, to recover, to redeem. Verily and surely, he said, he's possessed me totally and completely and possessed my reins. Why would he say reins? It stands for kidneys, which is an internal organ, the mind. The interior self, a very deep Hebrew word. But kidney is vital for sustained life. It continues this filter of blood. And if your kidneys don't filter that blood anymore, guess what? You go into renal failure and you die. Except you're, you're, you're sustained by dialysis three times a week. And that blood is filtered. I've come to tell you today... And I wrote it down and I studied all afternoon yesterday. Late morning, early afternoon. David said, you've possessed my reins. You purchased, created, and sustained life in me. 
You started a work and you continue that work to the end and it's complete. So the next time you start to make idols out of your childhood abuses, see what happens is God meets us at an altar the first time. Now, before that, you're a broken down mess full of a bundle of contradictions. But when He saves you, you start on that walk. You're not to the end yet, but you're here. But a lot of times people are not living in the fullness of the power of God. They don't realize He possessed my reins. He is in control of every area of my life. He's extended grace and mercy and power, redemption, justification, everything that I need. He's given me the power of God. But I'm always wanting to go back to this place before I knew God. Why? I had a piano player my dad's church. My goodness, she could play the piano. Oh, my Lord. She could play the piano. She was just amazing. Play that, that style, that gospel style. Amen. But I remember the pastor's wife said, or somebody said to me, the problem is she just can't get the victory in this area of her life specific area of her life she just and I thought my lord somebody and she left no more gone the devil wants to rob us of our destiny what God has for us and part of our destiny is living in a life of joy and satisfaction and fulfillment in God not beneath it he said you possess my reins You purchased, created my sustained life. You started it and you will continue until the end completion. So the next time you start to make idols out of your childhood abuses or make monuments out of them to worship them, remember this. God already knew everything that took place in your life. You hearing me? Initial deliverance is needed. But to keep repeating... All of this about generational curses is an error. I don't care who said what. I'm the pastor of New Life Church. And I come from the old school. Amen. I'm not an OG, but I'm an old schooler. I ain't never been a gangster. Amen. But I'm from the old school. And let me tell you something. When you got saved, you were different. Amen. You didn't go back to that and continue to wallow in all of that stuff. We were taught, get in that altar, amen. If you lose the victory or you come to a place where you feel low, get in that altar and remember, God possessed you. What He did when He bought you, He is continuing to do. He hasn't stopped. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Read your Bible. Amen. Read your Bible. He that's begun this good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the end. All things will work together for the good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. So quit making monuments. Say, I got to go back to that generational curse. It was broke at Calvary. 
The reason it didn't break when you came the first time is because you didn't surrender. Give it all to God. Give it, it's like the old gospel, not gospel, not gospel. Country western singer. That's the best kind there are. But country western singer was down there in that altar. Her, her mascara was running down her face. She's weeping and crying. Heard a good old classical Pentecostal message. And she's in that altar. And she's down there weeping. And she lifts up her head. And she says, I love Jesus. But she turned to the woman that was praying with her. And she said, does this mean i got to stop singing country music? She said, stay there a little bit longer, sis. God will change you. Don't get up. Until God's done. That's the thing. People get up before God's done. Amen. Amen. Listen to me this morning. Listen to me this morning. God's talking to some folks this morning. He's speaking to us. This, I'm telling you right now. He had your beautiful, glorious finality in mind. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. Do you hear me? Amen. From glory to glory, from faith to faith, the cross is enough. The empty tomb is enough. And David realized all of this as God revealed in verse 17 and 18. Oh, it's just getting good. My God, it's just getting good. Almighty Lord, he said here, after all of this he said, he said, I will praise thee, verse 14. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. If somebody told you you were a piece of trash, they're lying to you. The devil wants to make you feel that way. But God fearfully and wonderfully made everybody sitting in this house this morning. He said, and, 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 and marvelous are thy works. We'll say, you're not a piece of junk because God don't make junk. You may have been thrown to the scrap heap, used and abused. But I can tell you, God will pick you. Woo! He'll pick you up off of that mess. And He will restore you. He will restore what the canker worm, the palmer worm, the locust had eaten, the caterpillar and destroyed. He'll give you beauty for ashes. What you've burned up, God will restore. Amen. He's the only one that can make beautiful a big old bucket of ashes. But He said, marvelous are thy works. And that my soul knows right well. He said, I figured this out. Amen. Because God revealed it to me. I realized who I am in Jesus Christ. I realized that. Amen. You forget God possessed your reins. My substance was not hid from thee. David said, when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. He saw us in our imperfections. Yet He still loved us. And He said, I've got a life for them. I've got a destiny for them. I don't want them to go down in defeat, so I must needs go by Samaria. I must needs go by Samaria. He said, Apostle Paul, you think you're working for, for God, but you don't realize you're the enemy of God. But He knocked him off to the ground on the Damascus Road. And He said, 
Saul, Saul, I'm telling you, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. You're being goaded. God's dealing with you. And if He's dealing with you this morning, today is your day of salvation. Today is your day of deliverance. Today is your day to surrender. Today is your day. Today, not tomorrow, not next week, but today. And He said, thine eyes... Did see my substance yet being imperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. God knew before you were even a thought. Amen. My uncle brought me a picture from, uh, uh, I don't know, five generations prior, three or four generations prior, right when they just started making pictures, just at the beginning of the 19th century, I guess, and, 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 or the 20th century, because we're in the 21st now. But, but r- r- when I saw that picture, I looked. He said, John Paul, look at that man. I said, I'm looking at myself. He said, five, five generations ago, he named who he was. I couldn't even tell you who he was. I said, that looks like my twin. God said, I knew you. Okay? I knew you. You're a part of a family that goes all the way back to the Skyle Isles of Scotland. Amen. Somebody said, you ain't Scottish. I said, yes, I am. My last name is Sky Isles. I had a very distinguished lady one time say to me, I said, I'm Jonathan Skiles. She said, oh, from Scotland. I said, that's right, ma'am. The Skyle Isles. She goes, wow. I don't even know where they're at. I have a heritage because God, many, many years ago, all the way back to Adam, traced, you can trace yourself if we could possibly. I know it's impossible because they didn't have records like we have records. Well, they did have actually good records, but they somehow had a breach. So, but it's amazing how you can trace your family tree. Amen. And looking at that, God said, you were always in the plan all the way down to your grandma Daisy Skiles that was a Pentecostal Holy Ghost-filled woman that danced around a potbelly stove. And my dad said she prayed for her family. One day God said, you're an answer to her prayer. How many, probably 80 to 100 years ago, no prayer falls to the ground. Our prayers are immortal. They last and are answered even beyond the grave. But it gets better. Listen. He said, how precious. This is so powerful. How precious, verse 17, also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. He said, how precious are your thoughts. Of me unto me. He's searching us out and he's telling David, David, I'm revealing to you my thoughts of you. There as the sand of the sea, there as the sand. Do you know that he says that even our very hairs are numbered on our head? 
Each one of them's got a number. Every one of these hairs, and I ain't got a whole lot, but every one of them has a number. Can you imagine if he knows every number of every hair on our head? The sand of this earth. I can't even possibly process the magnitude of how much sand there is. That's his thoughts of us. That is a powerful, powerful, powerful thought and statement. David realized all of this as God revealed how precious the thoughts of of God are of us. He thinks about us all the time. So don't let the worldly thoughts, the worldly attitudes, and antichrist philosophy rob you of the awe of God. But seek God. Remove all of your mistaken views about God, even the trauma of a miserable life and a past. And see what God has been doing for thousands of years and eternity in developing your life. My God. He concludes with, search me, O God. Because what happens is, when you finally come to this reality, God really loves me. God really does exist. God really had a plan for my life. He mapped it all out. You turn and you begin to worship God. And you come into his presence. And then you begin to cry. And every person that has ever been here does the same thing. And we say, search me, O God. And know my heart. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Search me. Search me. That's exactly what happens when he touches you and people come to the altar. What they're saying is, God, you've searched me. Now, I pray, begin to do that work in me. And you begin to say, search me, Lord. He begins to deal with your heart and begins to pull up all those things and reveal to you. I want to heal you. I want to touch you. I want to bless you. He loves us. He's our Father. He said, search me and lead me in the way eternally. Lead me in the way of of the eternal. God has a plan for our life. He has a purpose for your life. And it's not to stay in a broke down dark mess. It's not to stay in a place of, 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 of being broken down and bound by the devil, bound in sin, bound in a broken heart. The Bible says he came to heal the brokenhearted. Amen. It is not being bound in unforgiveness or bound and caught up in the past. Let Jesus today touch your life here and change you forever. Because that's what he wants. Do you hear me? That's exactly what he wants to do. That is exactly what he wants to do. Mighty God, mighty God, mighty God. I want you this morning to stand with me in this place. Stand with me in this place. Sister Lupe, would you come this morning? Would you come? Would you come? Help me here this morning. Church, would you stand and would you bow your heads in prayer as our sister comes? Amen. Mighty God, mighty God, we're going to open these altars this morning. We're going to open the altars this morning. And I just believe that God is going to talk to some folks this morning. Amen. He's going to talk to some folks this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.